Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You're listening to the Dublin Story Slam podcast. The Dublin Story Slam is an open mic storytelling night that takes place every month in the Sugar Club in Dublin and we invite members of the audience to pop their names into a hat and if they get picked they get up on stage and share a true story inspired by a different theme each month. Now these are short stories usually about four to seven minutes and what you're going to hear here on the Dublin Story Slam podcast is a curated, a carefully curated selection of some of the finest stories that we've been gathering for the last year. And joining me as a co-curator uh, for this next 35 odd minutes or so, uh, it's our regular Story Slam host, Mr. Colin O'Regan. I think that's the first time I've been referred to as a curator. I'm proud of that title. Um, I'll put it with influencer if I ever get called one of those. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, always looking forward to hearing these stories again. Um, how do we curate these stories? I mean, when you're when you're listening back to the stories, what are what are you looking for to decide whether or not we should we should share it uh, with the podcast? I think it's those stories where there's a bit of tension. There is a sense that they're painting a picture of a time and a place, and also just that ripple in the audience as well too. We want to hear the story. We also want to get a sense of the experience that it was, what it was like to be there. It's called a podcast, but we want it to be a live night in your ears. Exactly. So you're you're almost sitting there in the front row, taking a quick intake of breath as you react to what's been said on stage. And today's show, the theme we were looking at is pivot, which is a slightly ambiguous kind of term, but. When you hear um, the stories, they, they, they all kind of, inverted commas, pivot around a certain key event. It's where something happens in the story that just subtly changes both the tone of the story. Uh, it can change the experience for the listener, but also maybe just the life of the storyteller themselves. So the first story that we are going to play for you is from uh, Neil Horgan. And he is a really powerful um, storyteller. But how, how would you describe Neil? Well, he's compelling and he sets the scene from the first word. He starts, there's drama in there, there's big gestures, there's a powerful voice, um, and then he can drop to a whisper. But the topics then are very human and very gritty, very revealing. He gives so much of himself on stage. He lays himself very bare, but I don't think we feel uncomfortable at how bare he he lays himself because we feel he's in control and there has been some sort of redemption along the way. 
So this first story, uh, it does come with a little bit of a, a, a rating on it. It does feature uh, scenes of a slightly graphic nature and a definitely of, a, of an adult uh, nature. Uh, so if that's not your thing, then maybe sit this one out. But uh, yeah, this Horgan, is Neil Horgan. Neil Horgan. Oh, there's Neil, man, Neil. I was 14 years of age in Paris on a school trip. It was the last day and I had three hours free. No teachers, no parents. So naturally, I headed for the red light district. (laughs) Pigalle, the legendary Pigalle. I couldn't believe all the XXX movie theatres everywhere. And I certainly couldn't believe when I threw up a 10-franc note to a kiosk that I was handed a ticket. I walked into my first porno cinema. (laughs) The afternoon show, it was empty. I sat in row three, just like I'm sitting in tonight. And there in front of me was a giant screen with a man and woman smoking French cigarettes. I looked around. I was alone. (laughs) The man started to take off his clothes. All his clothes. It was three times bigger than mine. (laughs) My low self-esteem started in that theatre. She took off her clothes. All her clothes. My Levi Strauss tightened. And I wanted to do what all teenage boys do at any chance. I unzipped. I took my life in my hand. It didn't last long. (laughs) Zipped up and got up, relieved to leave. (laughs) Bravo! I heard. (laughs) I looked around, there was no one in the theatre. But the balcony was full. I ran and ran and ran, beetroot. But not beetroot enough that I didn't buy a whole load of hardcore porn mags at the airport that night and rented them out in Fortier for one pound a night and became very popular in school. (laughs) Porn had descended on my life. In your 30s, relationships are important. And I had an eight-year relationship that started when I was 35. And one day, my partner turned to me and said, we haven't had sex for years. I didn't want to hear the truth. You're more interested in that computer 
she left. But before she left, she said, you left years ago. And she was right. Three lonely years later, I met Fiona, who's here tonight. And a year into our relationship, we were fighting about porn. I found her crying one day. I asked her what was wrong. She said, I feel rejected. Alone. It hurts so much to hurt someone so beautiful and gentle as her. I got help. I went to a counsellor and I talked. And it was really embarrassing. Really. But last month, I celebrated four years porn free. And myself and Fiona are just back from a holiday, a holiday of a lifetime to the Gallipagos Islands. And I asked her, do you still feel rejected and alone on the flight home? She said, no. I feel connected and loved. I had a chest burst of happiness across the Atlantic. No one had ever said that to me before. I asked her permission to tell the story tonight. And she said, yes. I bet we're not the only ones. So, I didn't just escape from a French cinema in 1981. <laughs> I escaped from porn. That was Neil Horgan there. Um, what was amazing about that story was the, 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 the visible relief on Neil's face when he, you know, finished the last line of his story. Um, it kind of felt like, you know, he, he could breathe again almost. It was the first time I'd ever been at a live event where somebody talks about that kind of addiction. I have a feeling we'll hear more about it. The evolution of t talking about uh, addictions of a sexual nature were still effectively 12 year old boys in our attitude to it, you know, as a as a society. Uh, like if somebody says I'm a sex addict, people go, oh, sure, I wish I was, you know, that kind of we haven't come to terms. And now, if he had told that story about about it being related to drink or drugs, like the audience watching them, they were you could see them working overtime in in pivoting themselves and adjusting their terms of their frames of reference to how to deal with somebody who talks about an addiction. You know, but it's just it's another addiction. Well, yeah, but even, the, you know, how it affects your relationship. Yeah, I mean, that's even I, it's, it's such a sensitive topic because yeah. it's kind of just happening in front of people. And, yeah. you know, a lot of people aren't recognizing, you know, what what the kind of the cost that can kind of come with. That's right. You yeah. know, such an addiction. So um, our next story is from Joe Brennan. And the amazing thing about Joe is not only um, the way he tells this story, but the fact that he traveled all the way up from Kerry 
to tell it. I mean, we're used to having people maybe, you know, get the bus in from uh, from, from, from the outskirts of town, uh, but never travel nearly three and a half, maybe four hours uh, to, to be with us on the night. So a uh, huge thanks to Joe. Um, this story is, in a way, it's completely opposite to Neil's because it's it's all about one particular scene that, that plays out over the story. And it goes along at a very slow and very tense pace but again, it was I hadn't heard this story been told before. Without further ado, this is Joe Brennan. A few days after the coup, the army lifted the curfew, the markets and souks reopened, and the people started to drift back to work. And life returned to something like normal. But there were rumours. <coughs> there were rumours of disappearances. There were rumours that the war in the South was going to end. There was rumours the war was going to get worse. There were stories of new government, new alliances. But for the ordinary people, life continued. There were shortages in the marketplace. Petrol was rationed. Cigarettes were hard to find. And day-to-day life just went on. It was 1989. I was working as a teacher in Sudan, one of these volunteer programs and I'd gone there to escape I was escaping mid-80s Ireland a grey monochrome Roscommon I was escaping London dirty dirty, dangerous construction work I was on a job one time there was five guys digging down a hole all of us had degrees young English kid with in on the summer job, told us if we went back to school and got an education, we'd better get better jobs. <laughs> the guy doing the Masters in Philosophy from uh, Trinity had to be restrained. <laughs> so I was escaping. I was escaping that time in life when you're officially an adult, but you don't really know. I was escaping a relationship with a lovely girl, but wrong time, wrong place. So I've been in Sudan a few years, and you know, it was a crazy place, but I liked it. And some people there, some of my friends were really good. Some were great teachers, I wasn't. (laughs) Some were great linguists, they learned Arabic fluently, and I didn't. But I was just good at being there. It, It made sense to me. But then the coup and things were different. And one day I left my office and I was walking home and I walked down through the souk, through the market, and down that long road where I was in the old city in Umderman and the road comes across the Nile Bridge out to the western suburbs. And there was a junction there. Sometimes you could get taxis and buses and those guys selling things and nice market. <clears throat> but because of the shortages, just, it was bedlam. A big bus came in. One of those old, battered, you know, the yellow, long-nosed school buses from America? They used them there. No windows. 50 seats, 110 people, some of them hanging on. A mini-riot, the ones getting off were being pushed by the ones getting on. Failed to get that. And I started walking. And there's a lot of people walking. And it's hot. It's like 35, 36 degrees. And I'm walking up that long road, 
And you know, I'm learning now in my mid-years about white privilege. I didn't think about it back then, but you know, we stood out. They called us Hawajas, but they were nice to us, the Sudanese. And the guy stopped. He was driving a Range Rover, posh car. And I got in. He was maybe 30, clean, new jeans, plaid shirt, sandals, light-skinned, maybe Western tribe, maybe Southern, not sure. And the car was pretty new, but radio was gone. There was a lot of wires hanging in front of the dash. He gave me a cigarette from a 20-pack of Benson in a country where you couldn't buy single cigarettes sometimes. What country? Irlanda. Hollandia? Irlanda. Dublin. Ah, Bobby Sands. <laughs> Sometimes it was Bob Geldof, but you know. <laughs> That's okay. And we're driving along, and the traffic starts to build up. And sometimes the army would throw, they called it a teftish. And sometimes it was an accident. So he pulled off the road and cursed a bit. And we made our way through the back streets. And at that point, one of these little back streets, was a bus in the way. It was stalled, we stalled. And a pickup truck came up behind us and it was shouting. And the driver shouted back, and there was more shouting, and I looked, and a man had got out of the pickup truck, just sort of one foot in, one out. He's a military officer, khaki shirt, Sam Brown belt, and the back of the truck was four soldiers, southern guys, scar faces, impassive rifles. And the Sudanese had that thing. It was a chaotic country, but people called each other yaki, brother, so there was always... You know, there wasn't a deference to authority. Get that thing out of the road. What are I going to do, man? There's a bus up here. I can't move it. It's my, you know, it's my fault. You're blocking a military vehicle. Move. I said, I can't. And then the soldier said, get in the truck. And my driver went quiet. And sometimes with the Arabic guys, in Arabic, they had an expression, malesh. It means like, it's okay, like dommage in France, never mind. Sometimes it means I'm sorry. And it was a way of de-escalating. And the driver said, malesh. And the officer reached into his pickup truck and took out a short submachine gun and said, get in the truck. And the fight went out of the driver and he put his head down. He just stepped out of the Range Rover there in the road. He went round and he climbed into the back of the pickup truck. And I, I opened the door of my car, of my side door, and I slid out, and I took my little backpack, and I very quietly moved forward. And I took the first left, and I hastened my steps, and I took the second left, and it was a little bit like there was a camera above my head watching my Clark's desert boots moving through the white sand. And two streets away, I went into a little cafe 
and I ordered a glass of mint tea and a single cigarette. I smoked the cigarette, sipped the tea, waited for my hands to stop shaking, and then I walked away. Thank you. Joe Brennan, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That was Joe Brennan there sharing his, his story. And uh, huge thanks to Joe for travelling all the way from Kerry to be with us uh, on, on that night. And we hope to, to hear more stories um, from him. Um, did you did you feel yourself unclenched <laughs> after, after all that um, tension? I'm even tense listening to it again now. And something about the way uh, Joe told it, I think maybe he was just a little bit nervous about telling it on stage, mm. but the the slight nerves of telling the story on stage perfectly matched the the slight quiver you'd have in your in telling that story in the cafe. Yeah. In the in afterwards with the single cigarette and the cup of mint tea. That's where I felt like I was hearing the story for the first while. You kind of got that sense of regret in the story, you know. From, there from is that survive. Is it survivor's guilt? Or guilt. Maybe, yeah. Does he wonder what happened? to that man who had stopped to give him a lift I would love to be the type of person who would walk like that I'm trying to put myself in that scenario would I have the cojones to open the door and walk and keep walking because walking is an act of guilt but there's so much 
John le Carre about that scene, you know? It's uh, it's really evocative. Okay, let's go to our last story. And our, our last story uh, comes also on a, a pivot of our own, Colm. Uh, and that is um, the Dublin Story Slam. We run this night every month. And at the end of the year, usually around about November, uh, we have what's called the Grand Slam. And the Grand Slam is the, the climax of the year. It's where we take eight, sometimes, well, last year was 10, but this year's is going to be eight storytellers. And we bring them to a very special venue, a slightly bigger venue as well. And they create eight brand new stories inspired by a brand new theme. And it's called the Dublin Story Grand Slam. Uh, we are delighted to announce uh, that we will be returning to the Abbey Theatre of all places. Uh, this is our national theatre here in Ireland and it just, the stages just don't get any uh, bigger than this. Um, we will be returning to the Abbey with a brand new uh, Grand Slam on November 18th. Uh, that's a Sunday for those of you looking at your calendars. Um, tickets will be going on sale for that one uh, probably start of October. And the best way to find out when and where you can get your hands on those tickets is to join the mailing list. I'm always harping on about the mailing list, feeling like a bit of a school teacher. But join the mailing list, info at thedublinstoryslam.com or just uh, visit the DublinStorySlam.com website and you can click on the button that just says sign me up to the mailing list and then we'll let you know when those tickets go on sale but they will be going on sale in the start of October and uh, we hope that they will sell out fast but uh, you never know and listen it sells out every year so why don't you just get the tickets early and we can clear it all up and get on with our lives and focus on the it will sell out so let's not have any nonsense about it and we can go on and uh, decorate the place. Well, that's Maybe put it. up tinsel or something. There's a lot of balloons that have to be uh, blown up and, uh, you know, paper chains have to be put up around the place. Um, but to play you out today, we're going to play you the, the, the Grand Slam winning story from 2017. And that is from a, a regular story slammer. Her name is Daisy McCarthy. Um, Daisy told this uh, story uh, on the night with the kind of energy that you would normally see like in a, a mini tornado. She just suddenly wept up, uh, swept up onto the stage, swept the audience up, you know, in, in, in the midst of this crazy, beautiful journey and that was uh, her life, I suppose, at, at that point. And um, I think it just has such a giddiness to it that's, that even my, I don't know how many times I've heard this now, but I, I still really, really enjoy it as much today as I heard it all those months ago. Yeah, she's just a great performer. Such a warm performer as well, too. Okay, so here is Daisy McCarthy with that winning Grand Slam story. Hi, this is um, this is a story about how I found myself in the Irish Sea this March after l- losing my mind. Um, I have a frazzled mind, but it's it's 2017. We all do. Um, I've kind of got the frazzled, the kind of frazzled mind that I have such di- constant dialogue going on in my head that I don't even notice if I'm alone. Um, uh, you know, what's in the fridge? Did I do that at work? When will I text that person back? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Did I lock the car? Um, and and in addition, I really love making stuff. Um, and uh, kind of pottery, sewing videos, whatnot. And as soon as something comes into my head to make, my brain just does not give me rest until it's made. Um, uh, So 
Uh, a year ago, I came back to Ireland for a calmer existence. Um, and at this time, via an existential crisis out with the scope of this tale, I uh, started making uh, sequin capes. Um, uh, for, first for friends and then for people who I wanted to be my friends and then um, and then I mean to offset the cost of the sequins I proffered my services online um, and, and you'd be surprised people actually <laughs> want to purchase sequin capes off strangers on the internet um, uh, and people got it from London and Australia and the other thing you'd be surprised about is is the urgent nature of their need um, and so there was, um, there was a, a woman who absolutely had to have a green sequin cape for her five-year-old for a Disney cruise later that week in Florida. So I did that. There was a man um, in Australia who was going to a festival and absolutely needed a kind of a, a silver sequin cloak to match his shiny disco ball. Um, the following week, did that. Um, my, my mother actually said that the, the type of costume I had made her despair for humanity. Um, and, uh, and so it was uh, really exciting. This wasn't my full-time job. This is just something I did on the time, but it was in my full-time brain all the time. And it kind of, it was like, I really loved all of it. Um, but I love when people got in touch and they're like, can you make this? I said, yes. And then I worked out how I'd make it, just winging it. And I love sourcing the material everywhere from Los Angeles to the actual north side. Um, and, uh, and then made the thing and took the pictures, did all the Instagrammy things, and then I just twirled around my flap before packing it up and bringing it to the GPO, you know, with all its bullet holes from the 1916 Rising, where the postmen would uh, give me free envelopes and call me young lady. Um, it's great. And, and then I... Um, Oh, no, it was um, the, the, the problem, I guess, if there was a problem, is that there was um, only 24 hours in the day. Um, I was working full time. Um, I was doing a master's in education. Sure, why not? And, uh, and I was doing this. So, so what transpired is that I was essentially running a one-woman sequined sweatshop. Um, uh, I, was, I was working and coming back and spending all hours essentially exploiting myself and the sewing machine until until midnight all the while pretending to concerned um, friends and family that I was a dazzle living the life of a dazzling young professional in the city all you know drinks and brunch um, and uh, and it was I mean obviously it was going to spiral out of control um, and so it did um, and uh, it was after Christmas slump last year um, and I really had absolutely nothing under control life work anything and and, um, and so I, um, what I did then was, oh yes, I uh, lost my mind. Um, <laughs> I got um, the I got some psoriasis. Uh, that's what happens. It's my body's like you've lost your mind. That's what's happening here. And then I got the flu, and then the flu went into my mind. It was all negative and being like, "What the absolute f are you doing? This is all your fault. What do you think you're doing? If you hadn't made this, all these choices in your life, you wouldn't be so unhappy right now." And something had to give. Um, and obviously, what with everything else. It was the sequins I had to give. So I, I, 
I told my, my friends and family um, that I was going to stop doing it. I, I told them I didn't actually stop doing it. I turned it, I turned it into a kind of an undercover job. Um, uh, and so, I mean, as addictions go, it's on the tamer side of things, but it still has the same patterns of, of denial and lying. Um, and so I, um, and, and, and again, how can you say, oh no, I won't make you a unicorn sequin cape? Or no, sorry, you're getting married, I can't make you and your five flower girls matching sequin. No, you can't do that. So I, um, I didn't, I just kept on going like a dervish. Um, and, the, and the psoriasis spread all out uh, over my body um, and I went to a dermatologist who recommended light therapy I took literally and figuratively um, and, uh, and but nothing obviously worked and then I was in a heap in my parents house <laughs> parenting never ends um, and, and saying listen you know I can't do Ireland what in the name of God is this I'm, I'm, there's no place for a leper like me in this town um, I, I need to leave and what's more I'll never find happiness again and my father was um, at, I think he was scraping the bottom of the barrel. He didn't want another daughter to leave. So he said, now, you haven't tried everything. You haven't gone into the sea. The sea will do it. You'll be grand. Um, go into the sea there. And so you're surrounded by it in Dublin. So I went up and on a Wednesday in, in March, I went to the 40 foot. And I, I was surprised I wasn't the only one there. I, I was the youngest by circa 50 years. Um, and they were doing it. They were alive. So I got into the swimsuit and, and got into the sea. And um, it was cold. It was the kind of cold, I suppose, that can be described as an intense pain, um, where, you, where you lose like functions like being able to breathe. Um, and I thought, feck this, I'm getting out. And I went to get out, but there was a long, slow line of senior citizens <laughs> on the paths, the steps. There was no way out. So I just had to breaststroke my way um, on, on. And so I um, contemplated the medical emergencies like death that I was going to undertake and then this two incredible things happened one was that once the, my extremities went numb um, I stopped feeling the cold and, and on the rest of my body it was this amazing kind of warm glowy um, feeling which is lovely and then an even more odd thing happened I just noticed it was really quiet not like around with the oldies it was quiet in my brain um, because swimming um, I noticed all that frazzled thought kind of simmered away down into into nothing and I was just there bobbing in Dublin Bay with just one thought left and that was that everything was going to be okay <laughs> That was Daisy McCarthy there with the winning Grand Slam story from 2017. The Dublin Story Grand Slam will be taking place on November 18th uh, on Sunday. Um, that is November 18th in the Abbey Theatre. Uh, tickets for that one will be going on sale at the start of October. And if you want to be the first to find out when and where they go on sale, uh, just join the mailing list uh, over at the thedublinstoryslam.com. And we're delighted uh, to also announce that we are going to be taking part in the Dublin Podcast Festival, um, which uh, is, takes place in loads of venues all around town. And there are some amazing podcasts out there. Adam Buxton is going to be in Vicker Street, uh, The Guilty Feminist with Alison Spittle, uh, and then some really, really cool uh, podcasts from Headstuff, 
like Juvenalia, those conspiracy guys, and Mother Folklore, uh, which Mother come Folklore. Folklore. Yeah. Uh, we'll be, as usual, in our usual slot in the Sugar Club on October 16th. Um, the theme for this month is fear. So if you have any particular stories that may or may not have a supernatural flair to them then we would love to hear them but at the same time uh, if you're human and you've been afraid at any time in your life we would also love to hear from you Um, so that is Stories Inspired by Fear on October 16th Uh, head over to the DublinStorySlam.com website sign up to the mailing list to find out when those tickets uh, for the Grand Slam go on sale and we will talk to you next month with a particularly spooky and ghost filled podcast episode probably talk a little hot scare <laughs> as well too just to increase the intimacy and cre- increase the fear yeah so make sure to join us for that okay thanks a million for listening we'll talk to you next month yes I echo those sentiments goodbye Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 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 Mm